Greetings, Meltopians. If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For $2 a month, you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Meltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer and gain early access to episodes on the Meltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts, and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the ranks of the Melsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters, you can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L- T-O-P-I-A. Now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everybody. On today's episode of The Damnation Machine, Lynn and Hazel, who are usually played by Leslie Guzman, will be played by Danielle Adams and Sarah Anzalone. Leslie Guzman will return next week to assume her usual roles. Thank you. Hazel's dreams were getting worse, and not for customary reasons. Typically, her mind was pried open, painfully admitting the whole of the past, forced to look over the rolling vistas of the bygone earth, much of it filled with too much blood and suffering for her to bear. But now, after her visit to the derelict hangar, her dreams had taken on an entirely different timbre. Gone were the general evils of history replaced with something much more monstrous and specific. While the dreams weren't entirely coherent, their intimations of cosmic evil were no less dreadful for their incompleteness. There was a violence about them, certainly, but of a type and severity that seemed utterly alien, beyond those of man or beast, of the traditional variety, at least. And while she was no stranger to dreams that suggested lost eons and inhuman entities, These were phantasms, just the drifting smokes of long-expired flames. Her most recent dream was far more seething than smoke, or even the infernos man often sets. This was lightning, a frenzy of death and violence wrought by hands that rent mountains and threw down the heavens, hands belonging to creatures that glared and grinned from a hidden history, a secret not entirely the Earth's to keep. In this last dream, she recalled a battle between two hordes of devils, blood-gusting shapes that fell upon each other in wave after wave of inhuman violence, marshalling powers beyond the ken of nature, leveling forests and cities in their contests. Her memory hovered over the army of dim shapes that bellowed and fumed with primal lusts, charging at an equally rapacious horde of demons. She recalled the form that led the latter mob, crowned with massive, twisting antlers, and how it turned back the toothsome tides with a gigantic mace in its right hand. The sound it made as it howled to its legions, commanding them as surely as the wind moved the seas, was like the roar of infinite beasts, all living and raging from the depths of its rough throat. Hazel shuddered at the recollection.
The only clue she'd been spared concerning her missing time was the name stamped on the crate, Tillingast Exhibit. When the front door closed, she knew Keith had come home from his walk into the dead of the night. As sleepless as any of her teammates, she decided to head downstairs to greet her friend and suggest some coffee. Entering the hallway, her eyes straining into the dim spaces in search for the top of the doorway to the red room, she almost ran into Lynn. It was the first time they'd met since that long, silent ride back from Curious Forest. I'm sorry, Lynn. I guess I wasn't looking where I was going. Hazel didn't know what else to say to the older, taller woman. Lynn smiled. That's all right. There's barely enough light to see by in here. I'm surprised we didn't knock each other out. Hazel was relieved by her colleague's gentle tone and decided to press her luck. I was just going downstairs to make some coffee. You want a cup? Lynn paused for a moment. Music, circa 1900, began floating up from the living room, suggesting Keith's presence downstairs. Sure, that sounds great, Lynn said, offering another smile. After everyone was seated in the living room, Hazel noticed that Lynn was timing her sips of coffee with Keith's draws of tea. Reflecting upon what she already knew about the Sun Stealer, she began to form a larger theory concerning the woman. Evidently, Deadwitch has its own self-appointed sheriff, Bob Maya, Keith began, lifting his cup from its saucer. Or, so I was told by one of its finest residents, the gentleman who left us the letter a good while back, inviting us to visit. Absolutely charming fellow. Keith took a long sip before continuing. He warned me to avoid Devon Street a place where the king of cracked sidewalks and dead witches reposes upon a crooked throne of cinder blocks held together by spit and chicken wire, I don't doubt. I know something about him through the grapevine, Lynn added, pushing herself forward in the chair, apparently interested in the matter. William Church. He and his bunch operate out of an old bed and breakfast. He scares the hell out of some of the locals, that's for sure. I'm not certain what his trick is, but it must be a real head-turner. Oh, I do love a good trick, Heath said, his eyes as bright as his smile. I pray it's a splendid one, as something tells me he'll be waiting to show it off. Of course, he might be amused by some of our own tricks, magicians that we are. Lynn and Hazel both chuckled at the madman, their heads shaking in unison. Seeing Lynn laugh so sincerely relaxed Hazel enough for her to ask yet another loaded question. Have you guys ever heard of something called the Tillingast exhibit? Both Lynn and Keith seemed to mull the question. Keith finally replied, It does sound familiar, but I can't quite place it. What does it pertain to? Hazel hesitated. Are we allowed to discuss the stuff that happened while we were with the company? I mean, I assume we were all at the same place before coming here. Keith looked to Lynn as if it were her turn to feel the question. Lynn put her coffee cup down. You can talk about whatever you'd like. We're all victims here. We all went through the machine. The scent stealer appeared to attempt a grin, but couldn't muster it. Keith interjected as if to head off the approaching gloom. After all, we're family now, Hazel. 
more tightly woven than most, as our parents were one and the same device, a true nuclear family, if ever there was one. Lynn's lips joined the smile they'd been struggling with, and Hazel took a deep breath before beginning her story. After supplying an abridged version of her travels to the hangar, omitting the details of her ensuing dreams, Hazel watched to see how her companions would react. Well, if you hadn't already guessed, Spider Black is not one to be trusted, Lynn warned. There's no telling what he was up to that night or any night for that matter. She seemed partially lost in her words, as if being dragged into them. Poor, poor Spider Black, Heath lamented. No one seems to like him. I, for one, found him a wonderful conversationalist and a worthy chess opponent, not to mention an impeccable dresser. Never once was the man without a smartly pressed suit and sparkling ebony shoes. Though, I can't help but see Lin's side of things. He is rather a monster, I confess. Hazel was thankful for their answers, which largely confirmed what she already knew. She felt for Lin, whose eyes now seemed pinned to some horrific memory, her silence taking up much of the room. The scale for tragedy was widened appreciably by the machine, allowing for a superhuman amount of misery commensurate with the powers it bestowed, making Hazel wonder at the untapped power Keith concealed beneath his clearly compensatory madness. At any rate, Keith continued, the mystery of this Tillinghast exhibit might be fun to explore, yes. Perhaps the next town over has access to an intranet. We could make a day of it, seeking out the heart of mystery, so to speak. Wouldn't that be jolly? All of us out and about like normal folks, whimsy in the lead, chance taking up the rear. He seemed invigorated by the specter of an outing, if not the reason behind it. Lynn snapped out of her silence. Could be fun, but we should wait for the rest of the team. We don't want another curious forest on our hands. Hazel enjoyed Lynn's use of the word team. It suggested the possibility of friends. Giovi was not without concern for his place in the secret world, but he long since made peace with the fact that the machine would one day come for him to extract its pound of flesh. He was, after all, the first to give the realization a name, the promise. And while he was one of the few who called the Forgotten King a close friend, even knowing the Oversapien's real name, he was unsure of his leader's boast, that he could stop the Melengen. If his borrowed time and stolen wisdom had taught him anything, it was that power always courts the side of secrets, the vast unknown whose cloaked dagger had tasted the blood of the best plans. Even with the years the firstborn Oversapiens had amassed, they were no wiser in the ways of the machine than the very moment they'd been locked inside of it. Its secrets were like death itself, vast and unknowable. This couldn't have been more evident by way of the king's plan to destroy the machine. It was a child's gambit at best, to destroy what could not be understood. Granted, there was some complexity to how the act might be accomplished, but success ultimately rested upon the assumption that the machine could be destroyed. To Giovi, it was almost wishful thinking, 
that something which so easily granted control over cosmic forces could be defeated by them. Regardless of his doubts, and because he understood the cost of treason, he'd seen to the systematic dismantling of his small empire, the disintegration of years plied with much blood and treasure. His reign had been a small one in both time and space, limited to the dark places of an already much darkened city. He'd made a monster of himself. The shadow he'd leave behind would likely outlive him, draped over the corpses he'd cultivated and the modest empires he enabled, his legacy. As the mender of broken promises, he oversaw some of the biggest transactions in the city of Colchester, when called upon as an independent insurer of oaths. If certain underworld parties agreed that he should oversee the honesty of an arrangement, and if his price was met, he was the cost of promises unkept. This was certainly a station befitting Giovi's unique malgenic portfolio. The ability to unfold lies into their tidier truths, to connect darkness with light, to turn faults into fire and burning iron. Or, as articulated in a top-secret German report written to illuminate the oversapien superhuman aptitudes, Giovi Pelario possessed the ability to isolate a particular informational pattern intrinsic to a subset of mental expressions, in this case, lies, allowing him to transmute that subset into a form of combustion and iron-like material. The primary mode of materialization was achieved via parity violation and some heretofore unknown means of information scaffolding, combined with periods of targeted and global decoherence. Lie detecting had been the way of things since Giovi was first tasked with outing spies and traitors during his time with the Underclub of Sicily, a shadowy cabal meant to police loyalties within the Sicilian Mafia. His talent for sniffing out falsehoods was almost superhuman even then, to say nothing of his skills after the machine. But when he'd refused to reveal his father as a spy, and his own secret was discovered, he learned very well the price of lying. To be burned alive upon an iron stake and left for dead. The machine saw to his reappointment as truth seeker shortly after a darksome man visited him where he lay, unrecognizable and alone, within a poorly staffed burn ward. Giovi had just seen to the final arrangements for his oathmen a spy network that supplemented his own efforts when he wasn't feeling particularly inspired, and was preparing for his trek to the Last Kingdom. As he folded his last suit into an expensive leather suitcase, he heard a voice from behind. You have one last oath to honor, Mender. I've come to see to it. The voice was inhuman, but not monstrous for the fact. Giovi set his suit down upon the bed, sliding his hands over it once to smooth a small wrinkle. He wasn't a small man, at well over six feet and nearly 250 pounds, but when he turned to see the hulking thing just outside the door, he felt small. The creature was mammoth, attired in a gray hooded cloak that shifted with the breeze. Its eyes were baleful and bright, twin full moons trapped beneath the cowl. Its skin was only somewhat paler than the cold glow of its eyes. Giovi stepped out upon the penthouse terrace overlooking the business district of Goldchester. 
the creature stepping aside to give the man room. I, uh, I'm not one to cheap out on an oath, so you must be stupid or bullshitting, the Sicilian offered. Maybe both. Yeah, probably both. But hey, uh, I'll bite. What oath? You made a promise to the machine, Giovi. All of you did. Even if you don't remember. Way down in the darkness, it spoke to you a single question. And you said yes. The time has come to make good on your word. The Oversapien's blood froze. The creature's words smelled nothing of lies. Nothing that could be worked. Looks like my number's finally up. The promise. Giovi thought to himself, preparing for the worst. Indeed, the promise. Confirmed the creature, drawing out the Oversapien's thoughts. Giovi summoned a twisting tongue of flame into his right hand, while black smoking armor veined with red glowing fissures sealed him away from the world his head disappearing beneath a helm of smoldering iron. The Menda handle is for the Gawkers, fella. Folks in the know call me the Forger of Lies. So you see, I uh, don't have any qualms about breaking my wood. The twisting tongue of flame struck out at the creature, its heat the sum of countless betrayals. The monster sidestepped the burning lash where its hissing tip cracked. Truly, I thought you the enemy of lies. Well, unless they're your fathers, of course. Giovi shook his head. That all you got, big guy? Creeping around my memories to make me feel bad? They supposed to choke me up or something? No, the creature replied, loosing a storm of invisible force that tore the entire penthouse from the top of the building. Giovi plummeted through space, surrounded by the tumbling ruins of the structure, and crashed through the roof of an adjacent building. Fire and steel and glass erupted all around him as the world seemed to come apart. His armor of lies held, but the blow had been incredible. Rising to his feet, he looked across the path he'd traveled through the darkened sky, seeking out the thing that struck him with enough force to decimate the top of a skyscraper. It hovered high above him, lowering itself through the pillars of smoke that rose into the night, its eyes burning cold and inscrutable. I only meant to remind you of the path you've traveled, Giovi. How you became what you've become. I would not have you go into your last night without the fullness of the wisdom you've pilfered, the prices you've paid for what you've been given, and the cost of what must be taken away. The creature hovered before him, its cloak flowing free and ample in the wind, inviting another attack. The Oversapien realized the thing's arrogance was likely the product of proven power, but he still hoped the creature might yet be surprised. Rather than sparring with his enemy, the Sicilian summoned the largest blast of fire he could muster, spewing the hottest lies he'd ever loosed. The resulting stream exploded into the creature, blasting it into the side of a nearby high-rise. Fire engulfed the structure, blazing tongues licking lies across floor after floor as more smoke filled the sky. A familiar shape stirred from the conflagration, 
as Giovi's flames wrapped around it, setting fire to its every mistruth, shooting fire from its gaping mouth. The Oversapien latched onto his captor with another tongue of flame and pulled with all his might. The creature shot overhead like a meteor, colliding with yet another building. More chaos, more fire. Giovi cracked his whip. Flames leapt from the surrounding infernos, from the smoking mouths of bystanders who had ever misled, from the hapless who fled the fire, even from the men who came to extinguish it. He formed the accumulated flames into a blazing iron bridge that spanned the distance to his enemy. The Forger of Lies strode across the superheated spaces separating the buildings to find his victim laying face down in a fissure of smoldering ruin. All these years I've feared the day the machine would come for me. We all have. And all it could manage was a paper tiger. A very flammable paper tiger at that. All this, you know what? I never even got your name. See, I'm the kind of guy who likes to know who he's killing. His armor flaked away like ash, revealing his head. Another flaring tongue emerged from his yawning mouth, snaking around the fallen giant, hauling him into the air. The Sicilian laughed into the surrounding flames. The giant materialized a shimmering cleaver from the thin air and severed Giobi's head from his body. It seized the tumbling head by its lolling tongue, using it to bring the Oversapien's vacant eyes for his own. I am Castilian. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 